The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, ETF Edge, we will discuss the fallout from the regional banking meltdown. No surprise, short positions are on the rise, but what about bank ETF inflows and outflows? Our panel of experts break down where the money is headed in this ever-changing market landscape and offer their takes on other pivotal trends like dividend income ETFs, both here and abroad, as well as covered call ETF strategies, which has steadily been gaining influence. Here's my conversation with Reggie Brown, the principal at GTS, along with Kevin Simpson. He's the portfolio manager at Capital Wealth Planning. Uh, Reggie, good to see you as always. The, the S&P financial ETF is uh, down 5% this year. But if you Excellent. look past that, you look at uh, the basket of the KBE, which is money center banks and regional banks, down 24%. The regional bank ETF, KRE, down 32%. Sort this out for us. What's, what's going on? Well, KRE is net losing assets. If you look at the entire suite of regional bank ETFs, they're picking up assets. And I think a lot of it is to two drivers. One, valued uh, players coming in to buy. KBWB is a VESCO ETF, is one of them. Pick up a, a ton of assets over the last three weeks. But also, I think um, there's a bunch of short sellers in the marketplace that yeah. are looking to borrow shares and thus creations go up and shares outstandings go up. So I think it's a two-sided equation here. Yeah, it's a little confusing for people. So these regional bank shares are dropping fast. Um, but as you mentioned, there have been notable inflows into the regional bank ETF, KRE. Their shares are being created. That's an equal weight basket of the large regional banks. So the inflow, the shares are being created because why? Short sellers are piling in and the market makers are having to create new shares to account for these short sellers who want to sell this. And exactly. So ETFs are dynamic. Yeah. And what's under the hood is very important here. And as you say, the, the individual stocks are dropping fast, but all of them are not uh, in trouble or have problems or balance sheet. And I think the sector is probably uh, in focus for advisors to start piling in in certain areas. Yeah. Kevin, uh, any thoughts on the uh, banking situation? The, the current concerns are, as I said, it seems like the, it started as a deposit flight worry, but it's a lot broader than that. They, they've expanded now. We have higher deposit costs in general as an issue. There's the prospects for more regulation for these regional banks. And most importantly, as I mentioned, these credit issues specifically around commercial real estate down the road. Well, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Bob, but the one I'd be most concerned about are the regulatory issues because that's a that's a given. And it's not going to be isolated just to the small banks or the regional banks. It's going to affect banking in general. And from that lens, you have to assume that earnings are going to come down a little bit across the board, um, much more so, I think, with regionals or, and super regionals than with the major banks. But in the ETF we manage in Devo, we own JP Morgan and we own Goldman Sachs. And, and certainly to the extent that we've seen deposits going to JP Morgan, uh, I think that's been a, been a strong positive development. But we can't ignore the commercial market that you mentioned. And I think, again, just to restate it, I think the regulatory issues are going to be the big across the board problem. 
Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned Devo. Uh, let me bring that in here. You run, this is a slightly different issue, but you run the Amplify Enhanced Dividend Income ETF. The symbol is Devo, D-I-V-O. Uh, it's an actively managed ETF. It, it provides income by, it selects stocks from the S&P 500 index, and you overlay it with a with call writing strategy, essentially. Uh, and this goes along with a, you know, a, a kicker. This was a big hit in 2022. It, explain for people who don't understand how these things work, how, what Devo does. Well, I'm only going to speak on Devo because when we talk about uh, option strategies, you can get a lot of wonky and get into the weeds. But for us, we like to keep it simple. We own 25 to 30 best of breed blue chip stocks. I know best of breed is somewhat relative, but we allocate across all sectors, Bob. So we're looking for companies that it's simple. They make money and they distribute cash flow to shareholders. So we're looking for companies that pay dividends, but really more than that, we want strong, powerful dividend growth. And I think that's more than anything the, the fuel that, that feeds our engine. The covered call piece is, is implemented as a means of harvesting volatility to protect a little bit of the downside. And we tactically sprinkle in some short-term out-of-the-money covered calls. But to your point, from a popularity standpoint, when interest rates were very low and we sat in a near zero interest base for, for a very long time, over a decade, anything that you could do to enhance cash flow became very popular. And you saw a lot of strategies pop up that really tried to pump up the yield. Ours is a modest cash flow. We shoot for four to seven percent, much of that coming from dividends. And, and really, it's a right. risk adjusted total return strategy. Right. So the, these covered call strategies were kind of hugely popular last year. And I guess it's great. You collect some income and that's how you kind of uh, outperform. But the downside is it, it's great in a side downways down market. But if the market keeps rising, you're essentially giving up upside, right? Because you're selling the covered calls. Yeah, admittedly, when you introduce covered calls to a strategy, you're going to be forfeiting some of the upside. And, and when we look at Devo, we're thinking about how can we capture 80 to 90 percent of the rising market and limit the drawdown and the participation in the down market to 65 or 75 percent by tactically looking at covered calls. And literally, I mean, we get criticized for being frugal on the option writing at times. But what we're looking for is we want to participate in rising markets, dial back on the option writing, and then when you have volatility, kind of put the pressure down, take yeah. advantage of it. Covered calls work best when you need them to most, Bob, in, in right. periods of higher vol. <laughs> yeah. And you also run an international version of Devo, IDVO. Uh, uh, and you own um, some big names in here. You own Petrobras, for example, uh, the Brazilian energy company, um, which is uh, similar to Exxon, but... I, I gather you think it's significantly less cheaper with a big dividend. Uh, what is it? What is the dividend? It's like 20 percent now. It's crazy, right? I, I don't even believe it. I mean, literally, I, I look at it, I send it to you in the notes, and I'm like, how is this even possible? But they've been increasing this dividend at a very rapid clip over the past five years. It trades with a three multiple, like, yeah, no joke. And the dividend's close to 20 percent. You have to be careful with international stocks. I mean, these aren't, it's not Exxon. Yeah. And there yeah. are lots of variables that go into it. And they raise their dividends and lower them. I mean, it's not, it's not a stagnant uh, dividend by any means with any of these companies. But that, that's a heck of a yield, huh? Yeah. And it, well, it, I know it's crazy, but it went ex-dividend just recently. So, and you also own Tencent, the China communication company. Uh, it, 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 it's a, a lot like Google here, but again, it's cheaper. What is it, 14, 15 times P.E.? This is why a lot of people like China as a value play. Uh, yields are about 4%. It's been growing 25% in the last three years. Uh, I don't know what the sales growth is. It's over 10%, I guess. 
uh, and cash flow earnings over 20%. So you can get, I, I get the value play here. If you believe, if you believe what they tell us, you know, it's coming out of China, so you take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. But our, our theme in this international play, Bob, is that the second half of the year is a China reopening story for international names. If the dollar yeah. levels off, and that's kind of a thesis we have where it's outperformed for 12 years and it, it doesn't have to pull back, it just has to level off. And then, yeah. you, then you also look at the fact that some of these international stocks specifically might be more attractive than American stocks when you think of a Chinese consumer. But that, that's a conversation yeah. for later. Yeah. And Reggie, uh, any thoughts on the popularity of these covered call ETFs? They were just a huge hit last year. And I, like I said, in a sideways down market, they're great, but you're giving up something. Well, first of all, they're complex. So it's pretty important for advisors and retail mom and pop to understand what they're buying into. Uh, on the whiteboard, there are a number of strategies coming into the marketplace. I think they fit a purpose, and they've worked remarkably well. Bruce Bond uh, was first to introduce a cover called Buffer Strategy under his lineup, and then bring competition to marketplace and drop fees down significantly. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to bring innovation and value to a segment of the population around covered calls and input strategies, and they're coming. So yes, they're complex. It's really important to understand how they're built, how to use them, but there's a purpose for them. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the bank story because the viewers are really sort of confused about this. And one of the key points that I always point out and bank analysts have been pointing out is banks have not been very good returns on investment for a long time. I, I was at a, a conference yesterday, a charity event. One bank analyst said to me, the owners of bank stocks are asking, why am I here to begin with? Uh, you know, and he meant by that a lot of investors have not been compensated for owning bank stocks for, or bank ETFs for many years. We bring up this regional bank ETF, the KRE. It began trading in mid-2006, but look at these numbers here. Since its inception, it's down 20%. Down. In 17 years, it's down 20%. Uh, and, and these banks have never really recovered from the great financial crisis. And since then, as you see here, the S&P 500 is up 230 percent. These are like airline stocks. They're like heartbreakers for years and years uh, and years. So it's not like this particular crisis suddenly destroyed a, you know, a, 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 a super uh, investment opportunity for people. Listen, banks are essential to the American economy. Yeah. And so for investors to... Uh, lend capital to them for their operations for a return of capital. Look, they're great dividend payers. Look at, uh, look at Apple. They just introduced a savings account. They got a billion dollars reported in a short period of time, over 240,000 accounts paying 4%. And I read this all in the newspaper. I'm not close to them. And so if you look at the demand for a yield, banks provide a service. Yeah. But as far as the composition, uh, it's risk adjusted. Best have to make their, their decisions. You know, that's a very good point about the dividends, because we tend to put these up, but we make this mistake with the S&P 500. We don't include total return that's correct. in them. And that is a very serious error, because as you know, if, it, just in the S&P 500, if you go back 20 or 30 years, it's a significant component dividend of total return. So if you get a bank stock that's doing 3% a year, uh, and you compound that interest sure. over time, you may get a, a, a much better Well, return. the dividend yield S&P 500 is around 178, 178 basis points, or 2%. So if you're long the S&P 500, it gets you 230 basis points of returns plus dividends. It's pretty significant. Yeah. 
Um, Kevin, um, we are uh, in the middle of uh, earnings season right now, and it's been kind of strange. They were dropping estimates rather dramatically going in. In the last couple weeks, as we're in the heart of earnings season, the numbers are being are coming in much better than expected. So the estimates for the first quarter are now actually going up again. Uh, and in the second half of the year, they're fairly stable. So while there's an earnings slowdown, there's certainly no recession, an earnings recession going on. In a real earnings recession, you know this, earnings will go down 10, 20, 25 percent. Um, we're basically flat for the year on expectations for the S&P 500. Any, any thoughts on what this earnings season is, is telling you and what you're telling your clients? Yeah, I mean, when we look at the earnings, um, the earnings beats don't mean what they used to in the old days because we know where the bar gets set. We've got to do everything we can to, to beat it or at least come close to expectations. So what I'm listening for on every single earnings call is what the folks are saying about the rest of the year. And we're not seeing you know, material increases on, on the rest of the year. Now, to your point, Bob, we're also not seeing the drop-off, which is a good positive sign. But what I'm hearing consistently is that companies are reducing expenses and they're reducing investments. So if they're planning for a slowing economy, I think we really need to pay attention to that because there's there's consumer spending, business spending, and government spending. And, and, and I think what we're seeing this particular earnings season is the yellow light that businesses are tightening the belt just a little bit. And again, that's not yeah. a precursor to a recession. It doesn't have to happen. That's what I'm hearing. And I wonder if you can comment on the, the overall trading situation and the situation with, with the VIX. So you're, you're at GTS. It's one of the biggest market makers in the world. You see an awful lot of flow. One of the things that's striking to me is the volumes can be very light on, on certain days, um, considering how edgy things are. And the VIX is remarkably sitting at 16, 17, I think it's 18 today. But, you know, historically, the VIX is 20, 21, 22. If it gets up 28, people start paying attention. But when it gets down to 16, that's sort of remarkable. From your position at GTS, how do you account for the somewhat lower trading volumes that are sort of expected in certain areas and, 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 and volatility being so low given all the anxiety that's out there? Well, I think even another measure, there's a new measure around one day VIX and that's even lower. There's no fear in the marketplace. I think all the information is in the marketplace and advisors and, and retail players have a good understanding about what to expect and are watching this one sector. I think there's no fear. The overall ETF industry this year, year to date, has accumulated over 700 billion of new assets, and you're seeing just uh, people piling in into ETFs like iShares Quality and then the SP 500 uh, complex across the board. But look at Europe. Europe is up 12% year to date. I, I want to talk about that later. It's, it's just you're just seeing just pockets of opportunity, and I think that um, with the marketplace, there's no particular fear. And so there's not a lot of trading frequency yeah. because long and is fine. The viewers seem very confused about the VIX. They keep saying, how could it be at 16? That's really, you know, that's a, a new low. And sure. why are people so complacent? Why aren't they more fearful? Don't they know there is a recession? But the VIX, you know, we point out the simple fact, it's only a 30-day indicator. That's the, the one that we use. If there is a big event 31 days out, it will not show up in the VIX. And you have to explain that to people because it's not a recession indicator. It's not in anything. It's just an expectation of volatility in the next 30 days. And if they don't think there's going to be a big event in the next 30 days that's going to alter what's going to happen, it will not be, ref it, it will reflect that. But beyond that, it won't reflect anything. It's not measuring anything beyond that. But that's index vol. If you look at individual company uh, volatility in some of the bankers, uh, bank sectors. Oh yeah, huge. The volatility is north of 100. 
You know, yeah. if you look at some of these individual <laughs> names. Oh, yeah. And it's even tough as a market maker to sell into that, into that because it's illiquid to get out. And so I, I think that overall, yes, volatile is low. Individual names, not the case. Yeah. For, we've seen trading volumes in the regional banks, five, six, seven, eight, nine times historic norms sure. on a daily basis. You know, banks that trade... 3 million shares a day, trading 20 million, 24 million yeah. shares a day, enormous. Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of our podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation with Reggie Brown from GTS. And Reggie, you had mentioned in the show um, very interesting inflows and some outflows uh, in ETFs. So handicap this for us. It looks to me like inflows into U.S. equity is flattish to down, and yet I see enormous inflows into international. Europe is getting money. After underperforming for more than a decade, what's going on there? Well, Europe's up 12%, and you have people chasing returns, and you're seeing a lot of money from a European perspective go into European uh, credit ETFs. They're a version of high yield their version of investment grade. And you know you can't blame them. And I think you're just seeing a rotation around world country sector rotation. And so out of the US into developed Europe, and then uh, emerging market bonds, we're seeing people pecking around looking for value. It's quite amazing. I mean, in a sense, Europe's underperformed the, the for US years. for decades, for years. more than a decade. <laughs> so you do get it. I mean, reversion to mean is a real thing. Sure. So that would make some sense. And yet there were plenty of people six, eight months ago said, oh, my God, this is going to be a terrible winter. We, we've got a war going on with, with Russia invading Ukraine. Uh, and yet things have happened that are really strong. Now, a lot of people point out that China's reopening and France has, a, sure. you know, a lot of Richemont and LVMH are doing well. But even Spain is up. It was at a new high a week or two ago. Italy was at a new high, the Italy ETF. So it's more than just people buying luxury stocks on the back of China reopening. There's the, 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 generally, the economy's held up better, I think, than people thought. Well, I think post-COVID, reopening and the consumer mindset from a European perspective are, have re-engaged into uh, putting their money to work. I think you're just seeing that. I think it's post-COVID, people come back and they want to get back after it. Uh, consuming and, and buying services. You know, anything else is always a rotation in, 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 around the world. If you look at the United States, um, lots of flows into products, but from a European perspective, the returns are there right now, and people are addressing that. And then the bond market. So last year we had a year, a strange year, with stocks down 20% and bonds down, and yet this year, huge inflows into Treasury bond ETFs, particularly short-term ones. My mother has, to safety. is pulling money out of her bank account, yeah. buying CDs and you know one-year treasuries, and flat to outflows for corporate bond ETFs. And generally, I haven't looked recently, but up for the, through the first quarter, there were outflows from high yield as sure. well. So they got a bifurcation even in the bond market. Well, I think a lot of that was related to financials. I think everyone reduced their risk to the financial component just because of the uncertainty around just bank balance sheets and what's to come. Anytime you have a move of down 20, 25% uh, in an equity standpoint, people tend to get conservative short duration. And then when it was time to leave the markets altogether, 
people look for uh, treasury-like ETFs with a higher yield with a very short duration. Yeah. They were the winners. What about overall flows? We got very spoiled in the ETF business of expecting 500, 600, 700 billion, 800 billion inflows every year into ETFs, gross inflows. Uh, and we were at seven trillion at one point, maybe fell back last year because the prices were down. Um, but I think everybody in the business got used to the idea of the slow and actual march of ETFs, uh, assets under management growing every year. It slowed down a lot this year overall. It's slowed, but it's still trickling higher. And I think from the standpoint, you're still seeing people leaving uh, other types of vehicles like mutual funds and going to ETF format. And you're still seeing new managers come in. But it's really about the advisor community putting assets to work. And they're choosing active ETFs uh, to deploy. And you look at uh, Capital Group, for example, you know, they launched in the marketplace. And then they're addressing now with a whole new product set and people have adopted them. So I think that there's pockets of success stories here around asset accumulation, but also the ETF structure, I think, is the winner. So uh, the ETF community in the United States has marched forward with 700 billion of new assets. So it's not necessarily a story to write off, it's just a story about right here, right now, uh, the consumer mindset and how to think about risk. Reggie, thanks very much for joining us. Reggie Brown is a principal at GTS, and thank you everyone for listening to the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.